Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion about murder, sexual and mental abuse, child sexual abuse, bludgeoning, and mental illness. Listener discretion is advised. On the morning of November 26, 2001, a call went out to emergency services about a fire at the home of Terry King and his two sons, Derek and Alex. Once the blaze was extinguished and investigators began to search the home, they discovered the body of Terry King. His two sons, however, were missing. Police combed through the neighborhood and questioned neighbors, but Derek and Alex weren't located until the following day when they were brought to the authorities by a neighbor. After speaking with the boys, it didn't take long for everyone to realize that there was more to the story than what they initially thought. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's another murder mixtape. It's mixtape o'clock, as some might say. It sure is. It's mixtape o'clock somewhere. It doesn't flow. No. It doesn't flow. I was going to sing it, but that's not my thing. That's your thing. But, but even that is hard. Yeah, I was hoping you'd read my mind, and you didn't. <laughs> and it's mixtape o'clock somewhere. It actually did. Okay. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um. Yeah, so this is the murder of Terry King. We're going to be talking about some rough stuff today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we do want to thank Mark for writing this one up. Yes, we sure do. Hey, girl, thanks. Um, if you want to watch something on this case, you can watch An American Justice. It's called Blood Brothers. It sure is. The Derek and Alex King case, season 12, episode 20. We watched it on fucking YouTube. Yeah, because guess what? If you go on the A&E app, American Justice ain't on there. <gasps> nope, can't find it. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. They only have two seasons, and I think that they're new. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not Bill Curtis. Okay. That is literally spitting in the face of Bill Curtis. I think, because after watching this one, as one does when you watch a Bill Curtis anything specifically, I don't know why American Justice is my shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you see him. Yeah. That because helps. you see him. You see him. And I was like, I will watch 16 more of these bitches. I know. I wanted to. I wanted to keep going. And I was like, Torella, wrap it up. We have to record. Like, you cannot cancel recording because you're just watching Bill Curtis. Well, and also, I didn't want to get things confused. I didn't think I would. But, like, I know that they're on. there are so many full episodes of American Justice on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. I remember the day you told me that. I think I had just gotten home from having Jesse. And you were like, yeah, there's some full episodes on YouTube. And I was like, oh, what? Uh-huh. I'm so excited. Yeah. As you should be. Yep. Um, can I tell you guys a secret? Probably not. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. 
This reminded me that I had reached out to Curtis Productions on Facebook a couple years ago. I remember that. And asked about possibly would Bill Curtis even like, could we pay for, probably we couldn't afford it, but could we pay for him to do like an intro that we could use for the show? Does he have cameo? Oh, I don't know. But they said, go to the website and submit a request and they'll get back to you. Like he does that. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. And then I didn't do it because I was too scared. Wait, is that this? Is that it? So I did it today. Oh, (laughs) so, you know, we might get an email back and him be like, no, thank you. But (laughs) I don't know. And I mean, at that time, you know, if it had been more than $30, we couldn't have afforded it. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. If one day you guys are listening and it's oh like God, Bill, Bill Curtis's Curtis beautiful voice. voice. Yeah. <laughs> I would, would die. You know, sometimes I'm like, I wish I had, you know, the enthusiasm that my kid has when he finds a penny on the ground, you know, about anything. Yeah. Bubbles. And I, yeah. And like, I do. It's Bill Curtis. Mm-hmm. It's Bill Curtis. Okay. Let's do it, though. But we have to. Hillary. <gasps> We have to go back. What is wrong with you? A lot of things. Um, There's not enough time to discuss that. We have to go back to Florida. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. Back to the beginning. Back to when the earth, the sun, the stars all alive. Escambia County, just outside of Pensacola, Florida, sits Cantonment, Florida. That's how Bill said it. That's exactly how we said it. Yeah, so that's how I'm saying it. So don't come for me, Floridians. Yeah, but don't come for Bill either. Oh, certainly don't come for Bill, our Lord and Savior, Bill Curtis. It's a suburb of the much larger Pensacola and is considered to be part of the Pensacola metropolitan area. And that's where today's story takes place. This story revolves around the King family and another man, Ricky Chavez. He pronounced it Chavez, but sure. Chavez. Okie dokie, artichokey. Derek was born in May of 1988 and Alex in July of 1989. These are both Derek and Alex King. Both of them both have the same names, King. Mm-hmm. Or wait, no, Jesse says they have both the same name. He's <laughs> like, oh, we went at both the same time. We have both the same number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, their parents, Terry King and Janet French, met in 1985 and started dating. Let me go ahead and tell you how confusing this is. Janet French is their mom's name. She also later goes by Janet D. Little or Lytle. I'm not really sure how you would pronounce it the way that it's spelled. She also goes by Kelly M. Marino, I think. So if you look at articles on this case and they talk about the boy's mother, you're going to find Kelly, you're going to find Janet, you're going to find a couple different last names for Janet. Like, they're all the same person. I honestly did, like, more research than I'm proud of trying to figure out who the fuck Kelly and Janet were. Were they different people? Like, did American Justice change her name? I was very confused. And then I was like, oh, she just has changed her name a bunch of times. Mm. Perfect. Okay. (laughs) When the boys were younger, they were described as almost polar opposites. So, like, you can look at them. One was blonde, one had brown hair, but their personalities were very different as well. So, Alex was extremely shy, quiet. He was more reserved than Derek. And the boy's grandmother said that if you wanted to give Alex attention, you actually had to seek him out and go out of your way to do it. She described Alex as being very intelligent Um, He had learned to read at a very early age. He could sit by himself with his books for hours and like not get bored, not get distracted. You know what this he reminds me of? What? Matilda. (gasps) Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is such a good way to describe him. Yeah, just so smart, wants to learn. Yeah. Just completely happy just reading his books. 
Yeah, exactly. He had that like he had that attention span, which is really difficult mm-hmm. for young kids. But I mean, he could do it. I mean, he's five when his parents get divorced, I think. They didn't. They were never married. So that's right. You're right. I just said that when they separate. Okay. But even young, he could just concentrate on things when it would be difficult for most children to. He just had that concentration ability. So their grandmother described Derek as more, quote, in your face, but not in a bad way. She said he was just one of those kids who was like always there, always ready to go do something. He's like, you know, just kind of ready to jump in like, hey, what are we doing over here? You know? Cat wall, eh? Like he's right there. Like he's just (laughs) ready to do whatever we're working on. He had ADHD and they did describe him as restless. So where you had to poke and prod Alex to get him to talk to you, Derek was like talking your ear off incessantly. Hey, y'all. Did you know that we release an update all about us and what we're up to each week on our Patreon? It's called T to the Fourth Power Y, which is some time to talk to you, a nod to Not Another Teen Movie. Mm-hmm. And it's where we just gal pal with you about life, what we're watching, our love for Cracker Barrel Italian dressing. I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit. You never know what you're going to get, really. Mm-hmm. If you want to catch an episode without being a patron, you are in luck. Just head over to killerqueens.link slash TT. T-T-Y, okay, time to talk to you, four T's and a Y, and you'll get to hear a full episode for free. And you can get these episodes every single week along with every single regular release episode ad-free for as little as $3 a month. That's less than half the price of the coffee I get at Starbucks, so. I know, that's crazy. I know, what a deal. Mm-hmm. And for $10 a month, you get all that plus our other two Patreon-exclusive shows, Murder Mixtapes, which is a full bonus case each week. Recent cases are Tara Grinstead, Hannah Cornelius, and New York Body Snatchers, just to name a few. And you also get our other Patreon-exclusive show, Doc Jams, which is where we cover true crime documentaries episode by episode. We've done... Don't Fuck With Cats. We've done Crime Scene on Netflix. They have Cecil Hotel and Times Square Killer. We've done The Jinx. We've done so many more. So be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash T-T-T-T-Y to get your free episode and hundreds more episodes to download right now and binge when you become a member of our Patreon community. Growing up, money was pretty tight for the family. Terry did whatever he could to earn money, but oftentimes he was working minimum wage jobs. And that's difficult to make sure that all your bills are getting paid when you're not making very much money and they have kids, you know? They were struggling and just trying to make it. Then in 1991, the boy's mom, Janet, got pregnant by another man and gave birth to twins. And Terry actually agreed to help raise the children while Janet stayed home with the kids. Wow. Yeah, that's... Pretty huge. Because mm-hmm. from what it seems like, she and Terry are still together. Right. When she becomes pregnant by this other person, they don't actually ever break up. And he says, you know what? I'll raise them as my own. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Stay here. However, in 1994, Janet became very overwhelmed, which is understandable. She has four boys under five years old or under six at this point. Mm -hmm. And the family members said that there was no organization and no discipline in the household. That's total chaos. Absolutely. However, I don't think that just bailing is how you handle that. No. And that's what she did. She up and left. She R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Yeah. And then after that, she had little to no contact with any of her children. Mm. I cannot get behind that. No. I'm sorry that, you know, whatever you were going through, and I hate that for you, but, like, that's not how we do it. Right. For a while, things to still be working out okay for Terry, Derek, Alex, and the twins. Uh, While Terry had been working what was described as a string of dead-end jobs, he was confident that he was going to be able to make it as a single parent. He was going to do what it took. He was going to raise these kids, right? But like we said, you know, Terry had fairly low-paying jobs, which made it very difficult for him. He also suffered from narcolepsy, which caused him some issues. He had had some traffic violations, and it it was either his mom or his stepmom. I couldn't tell. I think it was his stepmom. 
But she's, she made it sound like that the narcolepsy had caused the traffic violations, that maybe he'd fallen asleep while driving or something and he had wrecked his car. Mm-hmm. And she said he had, um, he had some fines from that. He had to get his license back. He's got four kids. Now he can't drive them anywhere. Right. Uh, he can't drive himself to and from work. He had written some bad checks trying to get groceries for the family or paying bills, all of these things. So he's got some issues that he needs to get cleared up, right? And he was struggling to take care of the four boys with all of this going on. However, it seemed like to me that anybody else in their family would have stepped in and taken these boys in while he was getting on his feet. Mm -hmm. That's not the route he went. He took the boys to a group house called the Heritage Home, and their family was totally shocked. And the boys were all in the Heritage Home for several months. Mm. And their grandparents would visit them and said that when they tried to leave, Derek would basically, like, completely wrap himself around their legs and beg them to take him with them. Mm -hmm. And they would all just cry. Because the way that she said it, she said there was nothing that we could do about it. And it seemed like there was nothing that she could do legally, not that she was willing to do. Like, it was like, that's the decision that Terry made. And so they had no recourse or something. Mm -hmm. And that may not be the case, but that's what it seemed like. Right. After a while, Derek and the twins were each placed into foster homes, but separated from one another. Eventually, the twins were adopted. When it came to Alex, though, they said that he never stopped crying, and eventually he was sent back to Terry. I mean, I'm sure he never did stop crying, at least when he was there before he had his brothers. Now all of his brothers are gone. Yeah. Poor kid. This is awful. They said that by this point, Terry had grown very reclusive. The family said that they hardly ever saw Terry or Alex. And Terry went as far as to take Alex out of school and during the days would just bring him to work with him. Mm. Again, that's not what we do. No. That's not what we do. Alex made the best of it, though, and he would just spend that time reading books, any books that he could get his hands on. While Alex had returned to Terry and the twins were adopted, Derek stayed with the foster family that he'd been placed with. And he was attending school um, and did pretty well academically, but his behavior was a problem. He frequently got in trouble while at school or his foster home. His ADHD wasn't being treated, and it went completely unchecked. His foster family refused to let him see any of his family, thinking that they were the cause of the behavior. I feel like so many people just, you got some options, and they were like, what's the worst one? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's not around any of his family. What if the cause of this behavior is not being around? Yeah, is partially he's got a condition that he's not being treated for, and he's not around any of his family members. That's absolutely traumatic. Mm Mm-hmm. They hoped that not seeing them would help Derek adjust to his new surroundings. I guess they thought he'd make a clean break. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That doesn't exactly happen when you've been living with the family for this long and then just like bingo bongo, all your siblings are gone. Oh, well, yeah. Especially when you've got siblings that you've got like their parents, you know, separated, their mom left. Right. That's a trauma bond. Well, absolutely. For those and- boys. I'm sure there's quite a bit of abandonment issues there Mm -hmm. already. And then being ripped away from the only family that you really knew and not being able to see them, that would cause some resentment, I would think, towards the foster parents. Yeah, exactly. So Derek went several years without seeing his family members. In his teenage years, he started to act out more. Um, At this point, he was caught stealing beer He had been caught playing with lighter fluid and lighting small fires. On one occasion, he got so upset that he took a razor blade and slashed up his mattress. Eventually, his foster family became too overwhelmed, and they sent Derek back to live with Terry and Alex. So, 
In 2001, Derek and Alex were both living back with Terry, but by this time, Terry had became or become increasingly paranoid. His family attributed it to him being unable to cope with everything that had happened in his life. It was easier for him to just turn inwards and shut the outside world out. And when the boys were younger, Terry ran what was described as a strict household. So when he was talking to the boys or he was disciplining them, he would tell them to look in his eyes. He wanted them to maintain eye contact, not to wander off when they were being spoken to by him or anyone else. And I think it was the grandmother that was like, or maybe the step-grandmother, she was like, when when he was talking to those boys, if they broke eye contact, he'd be like, hey, back up here. Like, yeah. you need to focus. And I mean, honestly, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I heard in a parenting podcast, especially with boys that like when, and I need to work on this because I forget to do this, but they were like, when you need a boy's attention and this works with grown men too, Mm -hmm. because, um, but it really does. It's just like the way their brains are wired. But he's like, you know, instead of, you know, telling your son when you get home from, you know, football practice, all right, cleats in the garage, uh, take your um, uniform off when you walk in the door, go upstairs, take a shower, and then come downstairs and we'll have dinner. That's four things strung together, especially for a young kid, not going to happen. So mm-hmm. you don't get to be upset when it doesn't happen, right? So he's like, instead of doing all that while you're pulling in the driveway and they're thinking about other stuff and everything, you know, all these things are happening. He's like, you get out of the car, you put your hand on his shoulder, you touch him, you look in his eyes and you say, in my case, Ben, and now he now he knows you're talking to him. And now he's zoned in, right? When you walk in the garage, I want you to take your cleats off. Then come find me. Hmm. That's it. Then yeah. you tell him to take his uniform off. Come find me. Then mm-hmm. you tell him to go upstairs and take a shower. <laughs> like, but we're going to hear some claims of child abuse. And this is not that. Right. I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. But... When it was just Terry and Alex, Terry was extremely overprotective at times. And sometimes he would just leave Alex alone and he would lock him in his room to, quote, protect him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it definitely feels like there was some mental illness at play at this time. And apparently, according to um, Terry's mom, he thought that if he kept them away from the world, that quote, the bad would stay away. Yeah, it was almost like if they had no contact with the outside world, then nothing bad could happen to them. Right. How wrong he was. Exactly. And so it had been seven years since the boys were separated, but with all of them being back at home, Terry was excited to have a second chance at raising his family. He had gotten a night job working at a local print shop. He also had a home that he was renting, which he had worked out with the landlord to, it was a rent-to-own situation. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he was, by all accounts, trying to get back on his feet and provide a stable household for the family, aside from the isolation. But you know what I mean? He was was working towards something more stable. Right. So, I mean, but Terry was still strict with the boys. He told them that after school, they had to come straight home. They had to lock all of the doors. And they didn't have a TV or a phone in their house. So the boys just had to do whatever they could to entertain themselves. And at that point, they were pretty isolated and lonely. Terry did have a friend, though, that he had met years before when they lived in the same trailer park, and this is Rick Chavez. And, or Chavez. Mm -hmm. And when it was just Terry and Alex, Terry would allow Rick to babysit Alex while he was at work. But when Derek moved back in, Rick is still in the picture and was actually one of the few constants in their lives. So, On several days when the boys got out of school, it was Rick who picked them up and brought them home from school. Some days, Rick wouldn't take the boys home. He would take them back to his house. And Rick thought that Terry was too strict on the boys. So when they were with Rick, he would give them praise and attention. He would let them watch TV. He would let them play video games. For almost two months after Derek returned home, the boys spent as much time with Rick as they could because Rick would basically let them do what they wanted. On November 16th, 2001, Derek and Alex ran away from home. Terry contacted the police and started searching his on his own. He went to friends and neighbors. He hung up missing persons posters all over. And at one point, he went to the boys' school as well. And the school had a pickup list for each student with authorized people who could pick them up from school. Derek and Alex's list was Terry and Rick. And Terry asked them to remove Rick from the list and told them that he no longer wanted Rick to be around his kids. Seems like something happened. Uh, Yeah. 
Then a week later, this is November 24th, police officers found Derek. The following day, Rick called Terry and told him that he found Alex. And the boys told everyone that they had spent the days camping out and hiding in the woods. And that evening, Terry, Derek, and Alex went all around the town and took down all the missing persons posters that were hung up. And they got home a little after midnight that night. So by 1.30 a.m., their house is ablaze and Terry is dead. The fire inspector noted that there were burn marks on the floor, which told them that an accelerant was used. And initially, they suspected that Terry died of smoke inhalation. But once they were able to get a closer look, they determined that he was bludgeoned to death and that the fire was set to try to hide the crime. If you watch The American Justice, what the police officer found and the way that he worded it is going to be a lot. He mentions, I'm going to put it in a nice way. He says, we're trying to figure out if the fire has caused his head to have the injuries. He does not say this. He says something much more vivid and awful. Or if he, if something else happened and then they figure out that something else did happen. The fire was not the cause of these um, injuries. So... They show more than I thought they would on... They show pictures of Terry at the crime scene. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought they would blur most of that out, and they most certainly did not. Listen, these old episodes of Cold Case Files and American Justice, they don't blur out much. Mm -mm. So the fire had been started in the opposite end of the house, and emergency services were able to put it out before it engulfed the entire house. And so they had a lot to work with in as far as crime scene goes, including Terry's body. But they still have no idea where Alex and Derek are. On November 27th, which is the next day, Alex and Derek were both brought into sheriff's headquarters by Rick Chavez. Many people, including Terry's family, are like, who the fuck is this Rick guy? So by this point, investigators knew that they were working a homicide investigation and they separated the boys to talk to them. And this is beyond bizarre to me, but in Florida, it's legal to question minors without a parent or guardian being present. So they were able to question them separately. Uh Uh-huh. 12 and 13. All by themselves in a room, all by themselves. Dude, Florida's a fucking, like, different world. It's literally like the Wild West. I mean, I'm sure... Oh, I mean, I don't know this. There might be other states that have that same law, but I just don't understand it. Oh, no, I know. So the lead investigator said it in, that initially he felt sorry for the boys because he, they had lost their dad and he had children of his own who were around the same age. And he was like, you know, I felt for them. But then they started talking. <sighs> so the boys claimed again that they had spent the night of the fire and the following night out in the woods. And then they called Rick for help. And from the start, Derek claimed that he had attacked Terry in self-defense. And his claim was that Terry had attacked Alex and picked him up and threw him across the room. Derek claimed that he picked up an aluminum baseball bat to intervene and protect his brother and himself. But immediately, investigators were like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So we saw the crime scene. And crime scenes tell you a lot. Tells a story, so to speak. So um, we we know that that's not true. And Derek is like, okay, let me try that again. Yeah, he's like, that. we can tell what your dad was doing when this happened. And he was like, uh-oh. Oh, uh-huh. It's like when you tell a kid that you can shine your flashlight on their teeth and it will, the special flashlight will tell you if they actually brush their teeth or not. Or, I mean, if you go with the Uncle Buck story, I have a friend down in the oh, crime yeah. lab the police station, he can run tests to see if you actually brushed your teeth or if you just ran it underwater. He's like, I'll be back. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, Derek is like, okay, Terry was asleep in the recliner with his feet propped up on the couch. And he said that he picked up the bat and he went in and he hit Terry with it. And Alex is standing right next to him. He says that he thinks he hit Terry about 10 times. The investigator asked if Alex knew what was going to happen, and Derek said, quote, he knew what was up when I grabbed the bat. Now, Alex is being questioned in a separate room, of course, and he initially claimed self-defense as well until the investigators told him that they knew it wasn't true. So then he said that Derek hit their father with the bat, and he watched. And Alex even said that the murder was his idea. But he goes— How mm -hmm. old? He's 12. 12. 
was 12. And he goes into detail about the sounds that Terry was making. That was awful. Each time the bat hit him. And the way he is describing it is crazy because he's like, okay, so the the first time he hit he hit him, it sounded like this. And then the the second time it made contact, which would have been the third hit. Uh-huh. Yep. Then this happened. And then the then, fourth mm-hmm. time he swung and the third time he made the third contact, time. Mm-hmm. it sounded like somebody being stopped up a little bit. And he was still trying to breathe. Like, he he even, just so clinical of like, well, he hit him this many times, but he, or he swung this many times, but he only hit him this many times. Like, it was right. very matter of fact. Very matter of fact. And does not sound... If not for the voice, you wouldn't think that you were hearing a 12-year-old recount this. Right. So the boys claimed that Terry was abusive, and that's why they did it. And when asked about specific threats, the boys were not able to give any specific verbal threats. And Derek said that Terry would stare at, at him, and he said, quote, staring him down some. And the boys couldn't describe any type of physical abuse. They claimed that the angry staring was mental abuse. Alex said that the mental abuse started a long time ago and had been going on for a while. And he said he was in, and this is, this was damn near a direct, a direct quote. He said, I was informed by someone that dad was abusing us. Yeah. I didn't know it was mental abuse till I was informed of it. Uh-huh. And the, the investigator's like, who informed you of this? And he was like, well, I really don't want to say. And he was like, you, you really need to tell us who said this. And he was like, it was Rick, wasn't it? And Alex said, yeah, he told me that um, that we had talked a lot. Well, we had talked a lot. We were friends, good friends. Yeah, we're, we're really good friends. This is a grown-up and you're fucking He's 40 12. and yeah. you're, yeah. And he said that he had done mental abuse. That's an issue. Yeah. So the police pressed the boys to try to get more information regarding Rick. They asked if Rick knew what was going to happen beforehand or, you know, like, when did he find out? And Alex said that he didn't think that Rick knew beforehand, but that he always said that it might come down to this. So at this point, investigators were certain that the boys killed Terry. They suspected that there was much more to the story, but at the very least, the boys were there and they had a hand in it. The police began to dig deeper into Chavez and discovered that in 1984, he was convicted of sexually abusing two 13-year-old boys. Mm. They also noted that he seemed especially fond of Alex. They talked to Rick on several occasions after Alex and Derek confessed, and during those interviews, Rick said that the week that the boys, quote, ran away, they were not in the woods like they told everyone. They were actually at Rick's house living with him. They also showed Rick phone records from the night of the fire that showed a call placed to his house from a gas station that was about a half a mile from the King house. And the call was placed at 1.39 a.m. The fire had been called in at 1.37 a.m. So to the investigators, this said that the boys had called him almost immediately after the murder. And he said that after the call, he picked them up and kept them in his house for two nights. And while they were there, he washed their clothes. So police viewed this as kidnapping and tampering with evidence. Why would you tell them that? No idea because he's fucking stupid. He really is. Like, he's a big dum-dum. He's already been convicted. He's already gone to jail. And you're going to tell them that you friggin' tampered with evidence? Yeah, I don't think that it even registered that that is tampering with evidence. But they also found a journal of Alex's. And in it, Alex, who is 12 years old. I mean. Awful. He wrote that he was having a relationship with Rick, who is either 40 or close to 40 at this point. Mm -hmm. And he said, quote, before I met Rick, I was straight. Now I am gay. And. He the way that he wrote it, he spelled straight S T R A T E. Mm-hmm. It just puts into perspective like this is such a young child. And oh, listen, I really it's not it's not about someone's sexuality so much as this is a grown ass man who has been convicted of preying on young yep. boys. Yes, I mean this just this is grooming this child. Yes, this is solid evidence. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is indicative that sexual abuse is taking place. 100%. And like I said, I because the, the issue for both of us is not whether anyone in this is gay or straight. That mm-hmm. is not it. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that this man is 40 mm-hmm. years old 
And yeah. he is preying on and grooming this 13-year-old, 12-year-old child. Yeah. This is predatory sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Is the only thing that it is. Yes. I just want to make that clear because it is, that's what it is. Yeah. Two weeks after Terry's murder, Rick was arrested and charged with accessory and accessory after the fact and tampering with evidence. The same day, a grand jury indicted Derek and Alex on first-degree murder and arson charges. The brothers were being held in a juvenile facility while their cases were being prepared. As the months went by, rumors began to circulate that the boys were changing their story altogether. When a grand jury convened in Rick's case, the prosecutor called the boys into the court to ask them if they were changing their story. They confirmed that they were. So now they're testifying that Rick molested Alex, and he was the one who killed Terry and him alone. Based on the new testimony, the grand jury indicted Rick Chavez on charges including murder, kidnapping, and child molestation. The boys were, at this point, pinning the entire thing on Rick Chavez. Investigators and the prosecutors knew that this wasn't true, though. They knew that based on the evidence they had that the boys were involved. Rick's trial went first, and the state chose to pursue a case naming Rick as a principal in Terry's murder. So it means he didn't actually commit the murder, but he persuaded the boys. It's kind of that, like, conspiracy. You know, he's kind of the one that set it up. Uh, Derek and Alex were called to testify. They stuck to their new story. They said that Rick had killed Terry and then told them afterwards, which the phone records show that the boys were there, even if they didn't swing the bat. Why would they need to call Rick at right. his— Why would They called Rick's home at 139. Mm-hmm. If they were all there They together. wouldn't have needed to do that if yeah. they or were if, with— Because they, they right. say— Rick was inside and they were waiting in the car. If they're waiting in the car, they're not going to walk down to the payphone and call Rick's home. So. No. Okay. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay. It's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so... Here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling, OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. Derek testified that Rick had asked them to cover for him by taking the blame. And the reasoning was that he had told his mom before she died that he would never go back to jail again. He made her this promise. And he's like, you guys are um, juveniles. It'll be classified as self-defense. You won't even go to jail. Bingo bongo. Then you can live with me happily ever after. Why not? Let's say that that took place. Let's say that that conversation actually happened. I don't know if it did or not, but let's say it did. Um, no, I don't think it is. Let's just keep doing things that are wrong and we'll just cover it up because she doesn't want you to go to jail no matter what. Even if you did something wrong, jail is not the option. That's not what anybody meant by mm, that. So I just, I mean, yeah. Yeah, just want to point that out. They did ask Alex if he had a sexual relationship with Rick um, and he confirmed that he did. After the boys testified though, the judge in the case ruled that Chavez couldn't be tried as a principal in the case, but he could be tried as the person who swung the bat. He said that the evidence that was presented was circumstantial and not definitive enough in the court's eye for Chavez to have been the principal. Which is interesting because they don't have, they don't, they didn't present any evidence that he actually swung the bat. So I don't know why that's what the judge went with, but mm -mm, I don't know. Um, this is a huge blow to the prosecution yeah. because now this bothers me a little bit. 
The prosecutor said, we already knew our evidence was shaky, but we didn't expect the judge to do this. Come to trial when you have your evidence. Mm-hmm. But they made it seem like they, he re- they only had four months to come up with this, all of the evidence and everything for the trial. Why, because is that, I mean, obviously, like, we have a right to a speedy trial, but, like, that's not usually the case. Is that because there are juveniles involved? I'm not sure. They don't really, I've not found much information on that. We only know what we know, but... Yeah. When it came time for closing arguments, the prosecutor basically just told the jury it's up to them to decide. He was like, I didn't even ask for a verdict because I felt like there wasn't much they could do in this case because what we wanted them to find, they weren't even allowed to. So basically, I just told them, you figure it out. That's what you're supposed to do anyway. So this I had never heard of. The judge sealed his verdict until after the boys' trials. So even Rick didn't know what his verdict was until after the boys' trials was complete. It was completely sealed. Mm -hmm. Under Florida law, Derek and Alex were tried as adults. That pissed me right clean off. Mm -hmm. They were 12 and 13 when this crime occurred. Yep. You're going to try them as adults. And it was possible that they would end up in adult prison. Mm Mm-hmm. For life. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're 13 and 14 now. Like, the prosecutor said for this trial, he knew that Rick Chavez was the 800-pound elephant in the room. He's like, you know, he's the one who hid the boys. He lied to the police. He was the perfect target for the defense to deflect everything to. So to overcome this, the prosecution decided that they would emphasize the boys' confessions. The defense said one of those confessions was made up by Rick in the two days that he hid them after the murder. The prosecutor disagrees with this. Yeah, why? Yeah. Um, He said that, so like, the boys never admitted to using accelerant. They admitted to everything else, and they said some things that lined up with the evidence, but they said some things that didn't line up with the evidence. They don't really tell us what those things are, except that... They denied using accelerant, and we know that accelerant was used. Well, right. And the defense was like, why would they admit to everything else and then be like, no, but because they were asked point blank, did you use, did you wet the house in any way? Did you use an accelerant? And they're like, no. Mm -mm. Why would they admit to everything else and then be like, we absolutely did not? I'm drawing the line at accelerant. Right. I mean, they even admitted to setting the house on fire, but they yeah. ba- they were like, we absolutely did not use an accelerant. Yeah. he Derek said he lit the frayed part of the rug in one of the rooms, and that's what set the house on fire. But he never says anything about an accelerant. Mm-mm. But they also said that while they were talking, while the boys were talking, that they were using words that young kids would never use, indicating that they had been coached by Rick for their confessions. Now, the pieces of the confession that I've heard, it does sound very clinical. Yeah. It does sound very specific. hmm I didn't hear any words that a 12 or 13-year-old wouldn't know. Obviously, I, we haven't seen the whole thing. Right. Now, I will be honest. Whenever I heard Alex, and I think that it's possible that his voice is so small. And Alex was a small kid. Mm -hmm. It's possible that seeing him plus hearing him and hearing what he was saying, I, my mind was tricking me into thinking that he was younger, that it couldn't be possible, right? But I wouldn't have said those words at 12 or 13. I'll be honest with you. I, I know I wouldn't have. I don't think, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, for him to be like, um, even down to, okay, so, if I said, well, when Torella hit whatever, and this would have been the third strike, but the second second contact. blow that made contact. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that I would have said that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so either, but... But Alex has been reading Moby Dick since he right. was four years old, basically. And so. then also, so the alternative would be, if we walk through that, then they've got to be sitting at Rick's house... And they've just watched Rick murder their dad, which arguably they may or may not care about because they believe this man has been abusing them. And in some ways he has. I mean, yeah. I mean, isolating them and. Yeah, this is not. None of this is right. None of this is right. 
But they're sitting there. And so Rick sits him down and says, okay, now let's, now let's talk about this. They're going to ask you what happened and you're going to have to tell them and it's going to have to match or something. I don't know. Maybe he's saying this. So you're going to tell him you hit him once. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to tell him, you know, you swung again and that's the second swing, but no contact. Then the third time is the second time you made contact. I don't know. Just like are we sitting there going through this with Rick? I just... I don't buy that either. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's... Nothing about this makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Right. It's bizarre. Well, and all of that aside, we know that the boys were there. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But it it seems like Rick was not. Yeah. Because they called Rick. We never bring another adult into the story. We never say, I called Rick's house and his girlfriend showed up. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or something, you know, like, yeah, it seems like they do know some information. And now look, Terry was sitting in his recliner. Mm-hmm. He had a coffee cup in his hand. And in the in the crime scene photos, the coffee cup is sitting. Now his hand is no longer holding on to it. But the coffee cup is like leaned in the chair. It's still sitting upright with coffee in it. Like propped up against his leg. Yeah. His hands are. He looks completely relaxed. He may have been asleep on this couch. Yeah. At the very least, he was comfortable and relaxed. Mm -hmm. If he had just gone up to the school and said, I want you to take Rick off the list of people that can pick up my children, if he's sitting in this recliner and Rick walks in his house, he's not going to be that relaxed. Well, that's if Terry hadn't just fallen asleep. If he's awake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got narcolepsy. I mean, he's... That's true. He can't control that. That's true. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying, let's play devil's advocate here. But right. I do believe that the boys were there when it happened. Yeah. And I don't necessarily believe that, that Rick was because who were they calling? What was even the point of the call if he was already there? So, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if the call connected. We we just know that the, the call was made. The record shows that the calls. Yeah, that the call was made. Is it possible that Rick said, go down there and call my number and act like you're calling me to come pick you up? Yeah. To cover up that he was there. It's very possible. I mean, I just, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of, and this happened in 2001. 2001, So, I mean, you know, this is not like big cell phone days really and like all that kind of stuff. Well, this is yesteryear we're talking about. So basically, but the prosecutor also said, and these are the prosecutor's words, that Rick wasn't intelligent enough to coach the boys on something like this, that the boys were actually much more articulate and expressive and more intelligent than Rick himself was. He may have been the adult in the situation, but he was dumber than a fucking brick. Mm. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah. Uh, Alex was the only one to testify in this trial. Their defense attorneys decided it would be better if just Alex testified. He said that Rick left them in his car while he went into the house where Terry was sleeping. He killed Terry, set the fire, and then they left. Once they were back at his house, he had told them what he did. I mean, it's just all of it's possible. Yeah. All of it's possible. They never talk about the phone call, though. In this scenario, they don't say, and we went and made a phone call to make it look like he hadn't been there. Right. But, I mean, it is possible. Yeah, it is. In September of 2002, the jury was sent out to deliberate. They concluded that the boys were there when Rick killed Terry, and they found each boy guilty of second-degree murder without a weapon. Without a weapon. Very interesting. And they're saying this is because they opened the door, that they— that they knew that Rick had come over there to kill their dad and they allowed him to come into the house and therefore they are now charged with second-degree murder Mm. as 12- and 13-year-olds who have been sexually abused by this man. Right. And who have been groomed and told by this man for months, your dad is abusing you. If he goes away, you get to live with me and we love living together. You can do whatever Mm -hmm. you want here. Yes. But, okay. But, I mean, now we've got to unseal Rick's verdict. You guys want to guess uh, what his verdict was? You're not ready for it. No. If you are guessing what you hope happened, guess again. Yeah. Uh, He was found not guilty of murder. Just totally acquitted. Acquitted. 
totally acquitted. The judge, though, then did something that had never happened in Florida. He threw out the boy's conviction, and he sent the murder trial to mediation. Dude, this judge is going rogue left and right. Yeah, and it's really interesting because if judges can just big fat do this, why can't they do this in other cases that we've seen, like where it's like, why is nobody intervening in this? Right. Why is nobody intervening in this uh, verdict or this sentencing or whatever? But anyway, he actually, he threw out the boy's conviction. He sends the murder trial to mediation. So two months later, they have their first meeting. And after working with one another, it was agreed on by both sides that if the boys would plead guilty, they would be charged with third-degree murder, which carried a lesser sentence. The boys submitted written confessions, which were actually strikingly similar to their original confessions. Hmm. So Derek was given eight years in prison, Alex was given seven, and they were sent to juvenile facilities. Thank God. Yes, I am glad the judge intervened in this case because they did not need to go to adult prison. No, and they didn't. They were just so young. They did not need to be tried as adults. No. No! And given like 32 years in prison. Oh my God, at 12 and 13? Because I think second-degree murder was something there, the— the easy sentence, like, you know, it's like you could go for up to however many years or whatever. And it was like up to 32 years in prison or something like that. Outrageous, Mm -hmm. you know? And they were 12 and 13 when it happened. Like it, it just, it blew my mind. And I was like, nah, mm -mm, this can't happen. Yeah. And to allow a child to be legally to be questioned without a parent or guardian, I think it should be a child should have to have a lawyer present. Yeah. I'm sorry, but how many parents are stupid as hell? Right. I know I am. Like, yeah. because if if you just have me, I mean, and arguably, hopefully I know a little bit more about what to say in an interrogation room than maybe the average parent. But like, I am notoriously terrified of cops. Mm. So if, Even a cop, if you're doing everything right, you yeah. already think that you're in trouble. I mean, so if I'm in an interrogation room and they're asking my kid questions, I'm going to be like, well, okay, tell them what they need to know. Tell them what they need to know. Tell them what mm-hmm. they need to know. Like, you know, my fear might overtake me, but a lot of people feel that way. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, that you should have a lawyer present and like all of these things. So like a child should never be questioned by an adult who is in that room in order to get a confession. Right. Once you're in that room with them, they want a confession. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. Like, that should not be legal ever. No. So Rick was, you know, acquitted of the murder charge, but he wasn't off the hook completely. He was still going to go on trial for some other things. Um, one of those things was molesting Alex, uh, which he was acquitted of as well. Mm-mm. The jury said that the boys had changed their story so many times that they were no longer believable as witnesses. That's some bullshit, man. I don't know. Okay, this is somebody who was a convicted pedophile. Yeah. It tracks. It tracks. There was a lot of evidence about it. We have all of these uh, journal entries by Alex talking about these things happening. Yeah. Did anybody else see it happen? I don't know that. But we've got a lot of... Where is all of this coming from? Oh, it's coming from Rick. Rick is telling you that your father is mentally abusing you. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get you to live with him. He's picking you up and hiding you at his house. Mm -hmm. Something's not right there. Absolutely. I mean, he was, however, finally convicted of false imprisonment for hiding the boys for the two days after the murder and accessory after the fact for washing their clothes because he was a repeat offender. He was given 35 years in prison for those things. Good. And I think the judge just wanted to throw the fucking book at him. Yeah, and I'm fine with it. Yeah, because I think they thought he was guilty of all the other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the age of 18, Alex was released on April 9th, 2008, and Derek was released on March 7th, 2009, at the age of 20. We, of course, would love to hear what you guys think about this case. Um, and, you know— any part of it, honestly. Do you think that Rick should have been convicted? Of, do you think that he did it? Do you think that the boys did it? Do you think that, you know, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that um, children should be able to be tried as adults? Yeah. 
I mean, yes, we should ask that question. I do not agree. Um, it depends case by case and it depends on the age for me, but I, I would love to hear what everybody else thinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but I, yeah, I just think that young, there's just no fucking way. Mm-mm. Think about how stupid you were at 12. And when somebody you have in your life who is much older and as bizarre as it may sound to me that a 12 year old could think that he's in love mm-hmm. with a 40 year old man, he did. He absolutely did. I mean, we see this in sexual abuse cases of like teachers and students. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this is somebody using a position of power in that position of power, even just being I'm a grown up and you're not. Yeah, absolutely. And you completely changed this child's perspective on everything. And he like there were things that he wrote in his journal that was like Alex King loves Rick Chavez forever and ever. And like, yeah, I mean, come on. And him to say in that initial interview, I mean, yeah, we were really good friends. So we spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. He's a 40-year-old. That's your dad's friend. But Alex genuinely viewed it as a relationship between the two of them. Yeah. And who would have given him that idea or that impression? Exactly. But of course, these are our opinions. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah. Let us know. We always have a... Um, an Instagram post for every case we release. So if you find us at KQ True Crime, comment, let us know. Um, we'll try to post a story and see what you guys think about it and maybe reshare those because it's always interesting to see what you guys think. Absolutely. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you so much and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Um, he did have ADH degree. <gasps> I was going to say ADH degree. Yeah. Like 98 degrees? Yes, I don't... I sincerely do not know what happened. Glitch. It was a glitch. Yeah, I glitched. I, I, I glitched back into the early 2000s of myself and went 98 degrees. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 